I'm Jason McClellan. Thanks for hanging out with me. We're continuing our Roswell exploration today. It's taken me much longer to get around to this episode than I had originally intended. Much longer. Life gets really busy and complicated at times. I lost both my father-in-law and my dad within the span of a couple months, so I've been dealing with other things. But here we are, finally ready to move forward with our next Roswell episode. On the previous episode, I provided a very brief summary of what is most commonly referred to as the Roswell UFO incident of 1947. Today, we'll look a little closer at this story, at least the version of this story that most people have heard and is the most generally accepted account. When we look at a UFO case like Roswell that took place so long ago, it's nearly impossible to know with 100% certainty what really transpired. We're talking about something that happened 75 years ago, and the bulk of what makes up the Roswell story originated from a handful of alleged eyewitnesses and, to a greater extent, second- and third-hand stories relayed to UFO researchers by friends, family, and acquaintances of people who may have been present in 1947 during the incident. And to make getting at the truth of what really happened even more difficult, UFO researchers who are responsible for digging up this old case and piecing the story together for us don't even agree on the details of the incident. We'll certainly be diving deeper into some of these issues as the year progresses. But today, let's look at the basic story of this incident as it's most commonly known. The story begins in the early days of July 1947. I'm intentionally omitting dates here because there are varying opinions about when these events occurred. But on one of the first nights of the month, a thunderstorm rolled into New Mexico's Lincoln County, the county directly to the west of Chavez County. Chavez County is where the city of Roswell, New Mexico is situated. During this thunderstorm, a few different parties reportedly heard a loud explosion louder and different from typical thunder. One of these individuals who heard this explosion was William W. Mac Brazel. Mac Brazel was the foreman of a sheep ranch owned by twin brothers J.B. and H.S. Foster. The Foster Ranch was located 75 miles northwest of Roswell in Lincoln County. The following day, Brazel and seven-year-old Timothy D. Proctor, son of Loretta and Floyd Proctor, who owned a neighboring ranch, rode out to the Foster Ranch with their horses to check on the sheep. When they were a couple miles from the ranch house, they unexpectedly came upon an area that was absolutely littered with unfamiliar debris. A lot of it. This material was reportedly spread across an area approximately a quarter of a mile long and hundreds of feet wide. There was allegedly even a noticeable gouge in the ground that ran several hundred feet down the length of the debris field. According to various interviews and eyewitness testimony, 
This debris included small pieces of unusual metallic foil, lightweight beams resembling balsa wood, and small quantities of other items that looked like plastic, parchment paper, cloth, and monofilament fishing line. According to the story, Mac told several neighbors about the strange material littering the Foster Ranch. He apparently had multiple ranchers ride out to the site with him to observe the contents of the debris field, where they also collected personal souvenirs. Mac also reportedly took pieces to Wade's Bar in Corona, New Mexico, and to the Corona General Store, where he showed them off to people, solicited help in identifying the material, and more importantly, sought advice about who he should contact to have the debris cleaned up. While in Corona, people informed Mac about various UFO reports from around the country that had been making some mild buzz in the media, and suggested that what he found on the Foster Ranch might be the result of a flying saucer crash, and that he should probably report it to the authorities in Roswell. The proctors also recommended alerting authorities, with the thought that whatever Mac found might belong to the government, and he might get a reward. So, a few days after discovering the debris field, Mac took this advice and made the 75-mile journey to Roswell in his pickup truck. He went to the office of the Chavez County Sheriff George Wilcox to report the debris. While he was there, Frank Joyce, a reporter at Roswell radio station KGFL, made a routine call to the sheriff to check on any news scoops or good gossip of the day. Sheriff Wilcox reportedly put Brazel on the line to relay his story. Joyce suggested calling Roswell Army Airfield to report the find. The sheriff heeded this advice and phoned the base, where he was transferred to the base intelligence officer, Major Jesse Marcel Sr. After Marcel finished his lunch, he met Brazel at the sheriff's office, listened to the story, and looked over pieces of the material that Brazel brought with him to Roswell. Marcel took these pieces back to the base with him to report the incident to base commander Colonel William Blanchard. Marcel showed the pieces of debris to Blanchard and, assuming some type of aircraft had crashed, Marcel was ordered to go out to the debris field right away to investigate. Marcel and Sheridan Cavett, the officer in charge of the Counterintelligence Corps detachment at Roswell Army Airfield, drove to the debris field, each in his own vehicle. Mac Brazel, Jesse Marcel Sr., and Sheridan Cavett arrived at the ranch house near dusk, so the trio camped there overnight. The next morning, the men visited the debris field, which was located approximately two miles from the ranch house. They pretty much spent all day collecting as much of the debris as possible, then started the journey back to the base. But Marcel took a detour first. He stopped at his house for a little show and tell with his wife and son. Jesse Marcel Jr. was 11 at the time. He helped his dad spread the interesting debris across the kitchen floor as the family admired and scrutinized it. The debris collected from the Foster Ranch was presented to Colonel Blanchard the next morning. After meeting to discuss the incident, Blanchard phoned the base public information officer, First Lieutenant Walter Hott, and dictated the infamous press release that generated international interest in the Roswell story. Walter Hott contacted the local media, which included Roswell's two radio stations and two newspapers, to relay the press release. The official story read as follows, quote, the many rumors regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Bomb Group of the 8th Air Force Roswell Army Airfield was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc through the cooperation of one of the local ranchers and the sheriff's office of Chavez County. The flying object landed on a ranch near Roswell sometime last week. 
Not having phone facilities, the rancher stored the disc until such time as he was able to contact the sheriff's office, who in turn notified Major Jesse A. Marcel of the 509th Bomb Group Intelligence Office. Action was immediately taken, and the disc was picked up at the rancher's home. It was inspected at the Roswell Army Airfield and subsequently loaned by Major Marcel to higher headquarters." End quote. Talk about an attention-grabbing press release. We'll certainly look closer at this press release on a future episode. There's lots to dissect and talk about there. The 509th Bomb Group, stationed at Roswell Army Airfield, was attached to the 8th Air Force, which was headquartered in Texas at the Fort Worth Army Air Base. On the same day that First Lieutenant Walter Hott issued that press release about the recovered flying saucer, Jesse Marcel Sr. flew to Fort Worth to present some of the recovered material to the commanding general of the 8th Air Force, Brigadier General Roger Ramey. When Marcel arrived in Fort Worth, he was met by hungry reporters wanting to know more about the exciting UFO story. But Marcel knew he couldn't say anything publicly before meeting with the general. He made his way to the general's office, presented some of the recovered UFO material. Then, at some point, this material was reportedly removed from the office and replaced with various pieces of debris from a normal weather balloon. The base public information officer and press from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram were brought in to photograph the material, as Marcel, Ramey, and Ramey's chief of staff posed with the switched-out weather balloon. Then the base's weather officer came to Ramey's office to inform the press that the material presented was, without a doubt, the remains of a balloon and radar target, something he himself had experienced launching. Then Ramey addressed the press, announcing that the captured saucer was nothing more than the remains of a weather balloon and its target. That pretty much killed the Roswell flying saucer story. The press ran with it, everybody accepted it, and the Roswell UFO frenzy quickly died out. But what about the claims of recovered alien bodies? What about the claims that witnesses, including Mac Brazel, were intimidated, threatened, and silenced by the military? And why in the hell would the military itself issue a press release about anything, let alone a press release about recovering a flying saucer? We'll get into these fascinating elements of the Roswell UFO incident on future episodes. But that's going to do it for this episode. I hope you'll join me again for the next episode as we continue navigating this strange and fascinating legendary UFO case. You can find more episodes of Unknown on all the major podcast platforms, and you can always find this show and our other shows at RoguePlanet.tv, because Unknown is a Rogue Planet production. RoguePlanet.tv is your home for all the strange. This show is at UnknownUFOPod on Twitter. I'm at Acentric on Twitter and Instagram. And you can always email me at jason at rogueplanet.tv or simply use the contact form at rogueplanet.tv. We're always happy to hear from you, whether it's simply feedback about the show, a UFO sighting you want to share with us, a paranormal case you'd like us to cover or investigate, or anything else. Thanks again for hanging out today. I'm Jason McClellan. Do us a favor, friends. Always treat the UFO subject with the cautious and responsible skepticism it deserves. Question everything. Have the courage to form your own opinions. Keep truth as the focus of your quest, even if the truth conflicts with your opinions. And, of course, stay strange. Mm-hmm.